live from Studio B at the TWRA headquarters in Nashville, Tennessee Wildcast is on the air with your hosts, Doug and Jason. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Tennessee Wildcast. I'm Jason Harmon, and we have Mr. Doug Markham here to my right, and to my far right, Mr. Frank Fiss, our fisheries chief. Glad you're here with us. No, you're thrilled to be here and talk about this subject today. <laughs> We're going to be talking about some fish. You know, there's a little bit of fish. So, so many good things to talk about. And every now and then there's things that aren't so good to talk about. And that's what we're going to talk about today. One of those not so many good things. And uh, Frankie is the Chief of Fisheries here at TWRA, Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency. He was assistant before that and something else before that. But he's been in fisheries a long time. <laughs> um, we're going to, Frank's going to give a presentation pretty much for this show. We know that a lot of you can't go to the Enoch building this week in Henry County to see the live presentation where where Frank and Tim Broadbent, biologists over in Region 1, are going to be discussing the Asian carp issue, among other things, on Kentucky and Barkley Lakes, Lake Barkley. But uh, we thought we'd get Frank in here and let him show at least um, an abbreviated version of the presentation so that many of you can see what uh, all the folks that gather there are going to see. And then we can uh, we can go one more later. I think maybe also Amy, we're not going to be able to get there probably, but Amy, I think our Region 1, because you've seen Amy a time or two, Snyder, I believe she's going to be there and you can get a little bit of live stuff for yeah, us. Yeah, she was on the show a couple of weeks ago and uh, did a great job, and you're going to see her face on this show more often. She's going to help us out do some hosting. We're going to be out in West Tennessee all the time and trying to get this information out to you. But um, a very important meeting coming up this week, and we want to preview it for you. There we go. All right, Frank. Agent Carp, let me ask you a question or two about them before we start showing you presentation sure uh, the, how long they've been here I mean it's not this isn't just happening they didn't start a couple days ago well the, the Asian carp came in in the 70s when they first were brought into the country but you know as far as the Tennessee problem it's, it's been a national problem uh, we're at uh, in the late 90s we start started seeing them in the uh, Mississippi River in pretty good numbers and then it was really uh, late you know, 2010-ish, 2011, when after the, the big flood, we started seeing a lot more of them in the upper system. So they, they really they really got established around that time. Okay, don't want to mess up your presentation. So if I'm getting into it without, you know, no, that's you all right. can stop I, me. I'm, yeah. I'm just going to ask about the fish itself. We're assuming everybody knows Asian carp now, what they are. But there's four different kinds. And this is on our website, by the way, some of these fish. And the updated website at tnwildlife.org, you can learn a lot about Asian carp. But there's four different kinds. And then there's some that are worse than others, right? Well, yeah, we, we don't know how bad all of them could, could possibly be, but there are four species that we're, we're, we're calling Asian carp. And not, not to be confused with the, the old common carp, which is not native, and it's actually like a Eurasian fish. Uh, but they're, they've been here a long time, and uh, they're, they're not a, near the concern that these new in, invaders are. And, uh, and this, you know, this presentation I'm going to give is just kind of an overview it really is important for everyone in the state to understand, not just people on Kentucky Lake, because this, this this is a fish. All these species have the potential to come to East Tennessee over time. Just over that if, river if, system. If, if we don't expand in that range. If we don't keep them in control, as and and I'll, we'll talk about how we're trying to do that. Okay, yeah. So yeah, folks in East Tennessee, watch it because if you look at the map on the website, um, you'll see where they have already expanded and. And uh, you guys are trying to figure out if they're reproducing or just coming, still just coming up from the Mississippi. Is that right? Well, yeah. Unlike a lot of the fish populations we work with, you know, migration is a big part of this because they're coming through the dam. They're coming through the locks at the dams, and you know, we 
we know other fish do that and they come they go both ways they'll go through the through the turbines and through the gates at high flows but uh, you know having a fish that does a, a, it comes in no, in great numbers through the locks is not something that we're used to managing okay. so, so all these fish that we're seeing in Kentucky Lake now you know, they they were spawned somewhere in the Tennessee Cumberland system maybe lower lower system near the Ohio but the the potential for them fish to swim up and, and keep adding to the population is, is is great compared to what we've seen with other species. Okay. Are, are there any benefits here? I mean, any benefits that's good to our native waters? No. Okay. They eat no. good. Yeah, they, they, I'll talk about the, the fact <laughs> you that they eat them. good, but there's we, we would much rather manage the species that we have. Oh, yeah, we've got good spaces. And, yeah. uh, and, 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 and the, all the recreational opportunity, because these fish really have potential to, to damage uh, what what. what what we have going on. All right, last thing before you get going, they don't yeah. bite. They don't bite hooks, basically. The uh, now the, the 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 big head carp and the silver carp do not. They're filter feeders. Mm-hmm. They're and so they're not going to be taking baits. It's a rare instance, somebody will catch with a hook and line a, a a large big head carp, but they're just as likely to be filtering that that jig in and and, and getting hooked in the mouth. But mm-hmm. they don't. They're not known to be eating uh, fish. Essentially, they're eating really small zooplankton kind of like you see these great big whales out in the ocean that are just eating krill you know you think how's that possible but it's possible all they do is swim and filter eat and eat that primary productivity all day long okay all right so, and of course that productivity is good for that's what fish. drives the whole system yeah okay. they're, they're they're hitting it at the at the bottom of the food chain so to speak so they're skipping everybody in between and that makes it more efficient for them okay all right well yeah. let's get started show us what you're gonna show folks and i may yeah. ask you some questions as we go this will be one of many asian carp updates that i've done over the years unfortunately and but we're we've got a lot to we've got a lot of new stuff going on we'll uh give us the next slide there we're doug had asked about what which species that we're working with and uh the the first ones that we're working on are uh, silver and big head carp. The the one on top there is that silver carp. He's the one that jumps, and that's the one that's creating the problems for boaters. Big head carp are are also abundant. These are probably the most two abundant species we've got in the in in the system. The other the, the next two uh, are the the black carp and the grass carp. Now the black carp is really rare right now. We don't know a whole lot about what it's what, what it's doing, but it it has great potential to be a problem for for mussels. They they eat mussels, they eat snails, and we've got a lot of endangered, highly diverse fauna in Tennessee that we're worried about with black carp. Uh, the grass carp you've seen for decades. They've been used to manage pond vegetation over the years. Uh, the, the concern, and we've seen them in in all of Tennessee. You can find a, a grass carp, but most of those fish we we we, we hope are. Are sterile fish that have just gotten uh, released from ponds or escaped from ponds somehow. But unfortunately, in the last decade or so, we've, there's been an observation of reproduction suggesting that there's a lot more of these fish that are, are that are deployed or, or you know are uh, successful at spawning. So that that could be a concern. It's one thing to be able to control the numbers of a fish that's controlling aquatic vegetation, but if you can't control their numbers. That, that could be an issue down that's the road, That's a lot of too. grass they eat. Yeah. There's a that, that's all they're eating. They're vegetarians uh, prim- primarily. So so those are the four species of interest. You know, why are they a problem? We've already alluded to this a little bit. They're, the fact that they're feeding at the bottom of the food chain, they're, they, they have the ability to upset the ecosystem in, in all these systems. And they create a hazard for, for boating. 
people that are uh, trying to just even launch a boat, let alone go down the lake, if these things jump in your boat, they can cause a lot of damage. If you're doing any speed at all you, and you get hit by these by a jumping silver carp that might weigh 10 pounds, you can do serious damage. And it seems, almost seems like something you'd laugh at until you start seeing it happen. I think there's actually many people hurt. Oh, uh, I'm sure there are, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and... And is it, did the all four jump or is there one or two? It, it's only the silver carp that, that jump. Do they know why? We, we don't. We do know that they're pretty sensitive to sound and, and, uh, a lot of vibrations that, in that. Yeah. The, the, that's when fish are feeling sound or vibration, they all act differently. Well, this particular species tends to get pretty agitated and jump. And I, I personally think it's got something to do with, you know, how, how shallow the water is and how many carp might be in that area. I think if there's just one or two, they don't. They probably don't need you know, if they're looking for space to move around and they just jump out. But um, we, we don't know. We yeah, don't know okay. why they jump. I'm I know on the web there. on the website you do. Uh, Bobby went out. I think it's Bobby Wilson mm-hmm. went out with Bill Dance. Gosh, fifteen years ago, and they're making light of it. There, I mean, it's a serious problem then. But there's there's fish jumping and Bill's catching them with his hat and stuff. But they're like five inch fish. Yeah. You imagine yeah. those uh, times about ten or fifteen. Mm-hmm. And, and it could be pretty bad. Yeah, you you know what it's like when you get a big fish in your boat when you're fishing. Well. And, and maybe you don't, Doug. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, they, and they start yeah. flopping around and they're yeah. breaking gear. Well, oh, yeah. it's one thing if you're prepared for it, but if you don't, if you just all of a sudden have a fish, you can you can mess up a lot of a lot of your gear in a hurry. Uh, and and most importantly, you'll be concerned about somebody getting hurt. So if you get in an area that have you see a few jumping, you know if you. You go slow and, and get out of that area, or, or you're liable to have more of them jump. Might be a good you. idea for all those bass fishermen yeah. to wear those helmets in the in the, yeah. in the well, winter to wear them in the summer. Well, the guys that work on these in even higher abundant populations actually put cages up around their they did. their their, wow. their, their console and, and particularly the throttle because if that fish jumps on your throttle, all of a sudden it puts you in forward if you're not mm-hmm. clipped in properly, and you could have that boat run up on shore. Okay. And that's happened. And it's uh, for real the, stuff. Seems yeah. really odd, but for real. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, just, you know, the economic impact of, of, of boating and fishing in Tennessee is, I think it's like two point something billion each of those. So you're looking at roughly around $5 billion Golly. industry mm. that we're, we're that, that's at risk here. So, okay. So that, that's why it's a problem. And, and just, just to reiterate what we talked about earlier, the, these carp are coming through the locks. That, that's their main mode of transportation. They've come from the Mississippi River. The Kentucky lock at Kentucky Dam is, is one of the most heavily used locks, certainly in the Tennessee Cumberland system. And you can see this, uh, this map here is showing a, kind of a blood red river system on the, on the west. That's the Mississippi, uh, Ohio, and uh, Illinois, or, I believe. And then, so th- those, are, those are areas where you have presumably reproducing populations every year of all four of these species. It would be very hard to control that population. There's no silver bullet yet that can take out these fish at, at such a great scale. Yeah. yeah, we see a lot of Facebook suggestions on what can. Are any of them realistic, Frank? Uh, not. There, there are some stuff that is early in development, like uh, CRISPR genetic technology. There's pheromone stuff that they can that, that in theory could work, but it's about scaling it up. And could you really put it in a in a natural environment and get it to work? Right. And, and it's big dollars. It's be like having a hundred TWA agency budgets to start you know hiring the right mm-hmm. people to do those things that 
It's, it, but when those, when those technologies are available, we'll be eager to participate. But for now, we're, we're working with, with what we've got. Not to interfere too yeah, much. No. I noticed yeah. that you got Missouri, Illinois, Indiana. It looks like they've been, they've been dealing with it for a while. Are they not coming up with solutions yet? They're not. Other, other states, uh, we, we work with other states in the, in the country uh, <clears throat> on, on CARP on a regular basis. I, you know, we, we spend a lot of time coordinating, basically deciding how federal dollars should be spent on them and what strategies really do and do not work. And it's... It's an adaptive management process. We we learn a little bit every year and circle back around. But the the Kentucky has been dealing with carp on the Ohio River system uh, longer than we have in the Tennessee system for sure. Uh, and and back to this map. So the the uh, pinker like the lighter red areas there. That's where the silver and big head carp are. What I would say fairly abundant. They're not not nearly as abundant as those blood red areas. And as you go up the system, you look in uh, what's it Wheeler Wilson and uh, and then Nickajack up there, you know, we've had reports as, as high as Decatur, Alabama, of uh, silver carp, and I know we've had some big head carp back in Tennessee on the upper upper Tennessee system. Just just a few, no, what we think are just nomadic fish, not large populations that are likely to reproduce, but uh, they're certainly well established in Kentucky and Barkley Lakes, uh, the the silver and the big head. Just hope the point. other ones aren't scouts. Looking yeah, around. exactly. And and the and the, the the two dots for the black carp there, those are the first instances of black carp being in the Tennessee Cumberland mm. system that have been reported to us. Mm. And we're actually reported to Kentucky, but okay. we work you know we work closely with Kentucky. And uh, and Missouri, Arkansas, all these states that are dealing with carp, it's not a it's not a Tennessee issue. It's a national issue. The solutions are going to come from a national uh, level. The the really the heavy hitting silver bullet kind of thing will be. What so, would you suggest if somebody catches one of these or comes across one? Well, it it depends where you are. If 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 you're in those zones that we know about, um, you, know, you can keep it. Uh, you can't keep it alive. It's it's a species you're not allowed to hold alive. But you could keep it and, and eat it. The, they do taste very good. There's there's websites on how to fillet them to get get the fish more boneless. I'll tell you, it's hard to fillet them, but the meat is very good. We've mm-hmm. served hundreds of pounds of this these fillets now to a different groups to show people what they taste like. Yeah. Uh, but but generally, they don't have to call the agency about that. But you know, the one the one caveat to that is that if we've not seen a lot of really small Asian carp in the Tennessee Cumberland system in three years. In 2015, there were lots of them, and people probably remember that. I, mm-hmm. I certainly do. Uh, we, we need to know as early as possible if we're if people are catching small Asian carp because at that time we're going to want to get our our uh, our media, you guys, on it to remind people to not move these things as bait. We'll right. talk about that in a bit, but okay. but other than that, now if you're in East Tennessee and you've got something that looks like a fish you're not familiar with, at any time call one of our offices. Take a good picture, not a bad picture, a good picture, a good picture right? and and even better, a multiple yeah, pictures. Yeah, even better. Put it if it's you know it's a small fish. It's most likely going to be something. Uh, if it's not a, a carp, it's probably some shad or moon eye or herring mm-hmm. or something. Just put it on ice. We'll come look at it. There's no we don't we're not going to do any uh, really high tech testing of it. Just keeping it preserved would be nice uh, to to really confirm because we get a lot of. We get a lot of sightings. We get a lot of uh, sonar sightings, and you know it, we really can't use that. You know, it, it's it's piece of the puzzle, but it's it's not definitive. And and we 
some of the work that goes on to, to measure carp abundance uses hydroacoustics, but uses what uh, hydroacoustics basically sonar like you like okay. side scan stuff, but really expensive side scan like tens of thousands of dollars worth uh, of it. But e- even those boats and vessels, you know, that, that do that kind of work, we can't hire them to do that work for us because they have to know what's in the lakes. We have to do sub-samples of what species are there. All that to say is you, you can't hardly tell what's in there unless you get a sample of fish. You get your hands hand. on it. Yeah, yeah. you got to get your hands on it at some point. So anyway, that's, that's pretty much where they are. Hopefully they won't go any further. But so, so what is being done about it? I mean, it, it, they've been around for a while. Of course, our, our, our response has been, uh, you know, I guess to scale with the number of fish are out there, you, you, it's really hard to go out there and just say, well, there's a few fish out there, go catch them. Well, there's only a few fish in the lake. What are your odds of going to get them? <laughs> now there's a lot more of them. It, you know, it's almost it, to, to go out and catch a, a few thousand at a time, it won't change the problem. You know, so it, but there are things that are, are doing behind the scenes that I want people to know about that are that are really going to, I think, make a difference in, at the, in the end. But we still need to be removing some carp. Mm-hmm. So we're doing everything that we know know can be done. We're we're also uh, we also wish there was a lot more that we could just easily do. But that's that's the reality of a, of it. We're we're not alone. Other states are facing the same questions. And we're, they're doing the same things that we're doing. So the first thing that we're doing is preventing the movement of carp. We're, we're getting the education out about don't move carp as bait. I'll talk a little bit more about that. And the other and the other thing is that we're trying to keep carp from going through those locks. And I'll show you a little bit more about that. We're encouraging commercial harvest. The commercial harvest makes a it it reduces the number of fish in the lake. In, in a great scale, much higher scale than we could do just on our own. Because when you, you add a commercial element to it, there's more people doing it. There's more demand. That's a good thing. The, the not only is it reducing the numbers of fish, but it's reducing the likelihood that fish go upstream, and that's important in that control aspect of it. We're talking about a lot of nets in the water. Is that right? Yeah, they're, they're yeah the the commercial fishermen use gill nets to catch carp. They're, they're a different gill net than they would normally use. They're, they're a, a bigger mesh that, that, than some might normally use, and they're definitely a thicker mesh that, um, that, that won't get tore up. These carp are very powerful animals, and if they use their old gill nets that they might use for catfish or something else, they would get tore up, and they would you know, hunt hundreds hundreds of dollars a throw if you get your nets tore up okay and if you're getting if you're catching successfully you're going to get a whole bunch of these things in one of those nets yeah i mean the the the, the typical catches that these guys are doing you know that that they have days where they don't catch anything just like everyone else fishing but you know they they can have a ten thousand fish ten thousand pound day you know they're uh it's not every day but 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 they do so Okay. So anyway, so we're encouraging that, and we're also working with uh, with that industry. We've had uh, some small grants available to the industry to to beef up their infrastructure so they can harvest more fish, and we're going to be uh, we're, we're hoping to, to do more of that. Uh, we're also monitoring the abundance and movement of carp. We we need to know where they are in, in uh, over over time. You know, are, are they using what which parts of the lake? So we actually have fish that are out there with with sonic tags that this is the kind of work that we're doing when we're not just taking carp out of the river it's, it's more important to have strategy to know where the carp are where they might be using areas for spawning um, and how they're using most importantly how they're using the the dams are they 
that we know they're going through the locks. That's obvious. But are they going through uh, uh, all at once, or are they? Are there certain times of day that they're more likely to go through dams? Certain times of the year. And if we know these things, maybe we can work with the Corps of Engineers that, that manages navigation through locks to tweak the system a little bit, so to speak, to, to minimize it. We, we don't know that we can yet, but without that information, uh, we, we, will never, we will never know. And there's also barriers that I'm going to be talking about that we need that information for, too. So, okay. So we, we want to know how many are out there with the abundance, too, because... When we're asking for federal dollars or we're, or we're managing state dollars, we want to show that we're making a difference. So we have to measure what's out there, and that's that's part of what we're, we're that's what we're learning how to do. Don't we don't know how many carp are out there. <laughs> and federal dollars, what does that mean? I, I understand fishermen would understand state dollars because they help pay for so much with their license purchases. Right. But what does federal dollars mean in this case? Again, the, you know, the, the Asian carp is a national problem. Mm -hmm. We we. We have been asking for and have been receiving help from from Congress, just straight up congressional uh, allotments that go to the Fish and Wildlife Service for carp. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Yeah, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Okay. And the the issue has been that tens of millions of dollars go to the nation for Asian carp each year. The problem for us is that a lot of that, like ninety percent of that money, is going to preserve the Great Lakes. You might have heard about the big barrier in, in the Chicago Causeway or the, the, yeah, the Chicago Waterway uh, and, and other projects like that associated with the Great Lakes. It, by, by the time that money gets to the Ohio River Basin, which Tennessee Cumberland is part of, we're only seeing about $2 million of that across that whole basin. And you know, Tennessee wildlife usually comes away with about Anywhere from 150 to 200 thousand wow. a year to do. Not, not all that it's much. not a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but but we but it's understood that, that that this is an interstate problem. This is a this is a problem that is going to need more more help before it's over. And and when when I start talking about the barriers that we're interested in, that the price tag goes up on these things to millions per location, and we're that's what we're asking for. So that that's where we're putting a lot of our effort into. Get, getting the groundwork done so that we're prepared and and can be successful at getting federal dollars for this for these mm. problems. So, okay, and and this goes and along with that, we're we're going to D.C. annually with uh, to, to lobby for funds to to get more dollars to come to the rest of the. When we go to D.C., we ask for money for the rest of the Mississippi Basin instead of just those states that are. Protecting the great. Are you lakes. getting help from any of your Tennessee legislators? We, they're they've been very receptive when we go. It, the, the nice thing about going to talk about carp at any meeting, I, I, I've yet to see people that are for carp. It's not like we have a conflict, so they they understand the problem. We we've we always get support. We've yet to get a champion that wants to really get more money for us, and that, that's what we need. There are some there are certain legislators and that are that support the Great Lakes very well. And we need some sort of a southern champion, so to speak, for that. So, okay. So we need somebody to take the next the next step on that. And and you know all the, the those federal workings is is kind of new to me. I don't know how all that works, but I know they've been very receptive when we go and explain what's going on in Tennessee. So, okay. All right. More yeah. trips to Washington. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay, but and and it may not just be me. There there may be some language. There are some some opportunity for the public to get involved down the road. If we get a piece of legislation that needs public support, surely I, I hope that everyone will take the time to show that they support that sort of thing. Sounds good. Yeah. Next slide. 
So I wanted to, I was talking about, you know, how are we keeping carp from moving? One of the messages that we've been hammering pretty good lately, every year in the fishing guide, we talk about not using carp as bait. We show where they are. We show how they're, how you can tell them different from shad. We, we have these signs up that are listed. I see them everywhere. That are yeah. posted up at, at places where you could probably catch an Asian carp and, and not know it. Mm-hmm. You know, how's that possible? You look at this, this image up to the left here. You know, that, that's a mix of threadfin shad and silver carp. And you'd have to really be paying attention that day to know that you have a silver carp in there. If they're here, like, that's probably one, that one for sure. Um, Can you show them? Hold on a minute, Frank. Try that yeah, again. Uh, there you go. These guys here, 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 but not, that's a threadfin, that's a threadfin, that's a threadfin. I mean, they're a little different size in this, but it, it would be so easy to mix this up. Show, show the next slide there, okay. Jason. I mean, here's a maybe a size fish you might use for striper bait. You know, there's a, there's a silver on the bottom, and there's a gizzard chat on top. Uh, it wouldn't be hard to make that mistake. Uh, and, not and, a problem. And, and we really want to remind everyone you're not allowed to carry live carp, live uh, Asian carp. They're all banned for live carry. You can carry them dead for bait. <laughs> And, and be really careful when you're collecting fish, particularly out of Kentucky Lake, uh, Barkley, Old Hickory, Cheatham. You know, you don't want to be the guy that gets a, a, a mess of these and drops them in priest. So the best it, practice is probably just to not do it. Yeah. It, well, if you're... Or, you're that, Go buy your bait from a store somewhere. That, that would be safe, for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, As sure. a fisherman who's, who's worked with a lot of fishermen out there, they're going to throw their nets, and they're going to catch their bait, yeah. and they're going to go use it. But, uh, but just don't move it. Do use it. Just use it there. Use it there is good. Yeah. Uh, if yeah. you can use it where you collect it, that's always the best thing for right. any bait. That's, yeah. And it's probably the best uh, fish bait. But the, this is... This is a message that we've we've got to get out, and and we we need compliance on this on this message. If, they, for if sure. you want your fishery to stay good, do yeah, it. I feel like there's enough people concerned about this that they'll yeah. they should take take the time and think about what they're right. doing. I mean, there's probably some that that don't fish that water very often and might move it, not knowing. But oh, yeah. the ones that are in the loop, that's right. You know, it, but the problem is it only takes one. I mean, if you had right. if you had a a dozen or, or two dozen of these things get loose, you could have a population. And even in a lake like Priest, you've got, they need headwater rivers to spawn in. Well, you got the East Fork, West Fork. Probably wouldn't be ideal. Here in Middle Tennessee, Percy Priest Lake. It, yeah, it yeah. probably wouldn't be ideal every day, every year, but it could be ideal one year, and that's all you'd That's all it would take. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So, and that's why I was talking about making sure we know if people are seeing small fish, uh, they'll probably be the first to potentially the first to detect them we might detect them before them but there's a lot more people out throwing uh, on the water you, you can look at these for a minute and tell which is which it's not it, but but the problem yeah. is you're working hard with a net and you're dumping in buckets and you don't really pay attention to that yeah. stuff it looks yeah. like a shad yeah yeah you can you can there's the, the all your gizzard chad and your threadfin chad are always going to have that dorsal like that real wispy uh, fin or you know that the the thread, yeah, and that's why they're the called thread, thread and that little thing that hangs over off the dorsal. But you can't see it in that picture, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it was, well, so just, I just want to make that known. The other thing that we're working a lot on, this is where a lot of the money is going right now, into pr- reducing lock movement. All of the, all the sonic tagging that we're doing on carp, we've got over a hundred fish out there tagged, and we've got transmitters that are that are. Uh, 
passively, they're just there's these little posts that are up and down the Tennessee River into Alabama. We're working with the other Mississippi and Alabama on this. We we have if if fish move up and down the river, we know that they have moved these hundred or so that are tagged, hmm. and and that will tell us you know, again how and when they're using the lock. So there is technology to put barriers up to stop. Uh, these carp. We talked about how they're sensitive to sound. Well, we use sound against them in this case. So imagine this this red dash up here would be a, a barrier underwater. You could totally navigate over it, obviously, because it's a navigation lock. So you wouldn't see it or hear it as a person, but it would be underwater and it's supposed to scare the fish away. That's the sh slide on the left there is supposed to be a big speaker scaring. And there's a little bubble curtain too that helps attenuate the sound hmm. to keep fish away from that area. And we, we, these, these sound systems have been tested for carp in more controlled environments, but they've never been tested in a place where we have uh, in, in, a, in a natural real environment where there's actual locks, you know, locks being used. So Barkley was selected by the Fish and Wildlife Service. We've, we've been asking the service to come to Tennessee as soon as possible when you get technology because we need them all up and down the system to keep these fish from moving up to East Tennessee. Are you worried about other fish not being able to move up? Sturgeon? We, 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 we are. The, uh, the, the fact that the carp are so sensitive, there's the, the field work that, or the, the, the leading, the research that led up to this show that there are species, the native species actually don't sense it as bad. And so they're, they're moving through it. No, oh, okay. You know, it'd be like right. you and I with a, with a dog and a dog whistle, they hear it, you don't. These, the, these carp species are built a little differently. And, and they're, th th that question will be addressed too in the, in the process. They'll, they'll be looking at native fish over time. I mean, we, have, we don't have any, um, well, the, the need to keep the carp from going upstream is probably greater than the need to keep some native fish from moving between reservoirs, at least while we figure this out. Okay. We, we could we hit the pause button on that. It, most of the species that needed to go between reservoirs have stopped doing it years ago when the reservoirs were built. They, they, they don't have that opportunity anymore. So okay. so anyway, that that's a that's something, an issue that does come up, but it, it'll be addressed in its due time. The most important thing is to decide whether or not this works. And that's why they went to Barkley Lock. There's lots of carp there. It's a good place to test it. So. Cool. Now, hopefully, will happen in September of this year. So, the commercial harvest is how we're how the fish are leaving the lakes right now. That predominantly, we the agency is out doing it. Our, our monitoring that we do, but we don't take carp in great numbers at all compared to what the commercial fishermen are doing. We we, we kind of want kind of want a different look at it anyway. We don't want to catch. Uh, we kind of want a broader look, and whereas the commercial fishermen are focusing in on just where their catch is going to be the in the next few days. But the, about the commercial harvest, if you're not familiar with it, uh, we have commercial fishing in Tennessee. If you don't know that, we've got lots of commercial fishermen. Not many of them are, are carp harvesting yet, but there are markets for carp. People are eating uh, silver and big head carp. They taste great. There's Their markets are being developed. The demand in these markets has been increasing. And, and we've been helping in that in, in providing a grant or two, but we're, we're eager to do some more incentives to, to really pay out so that commercial fishermen make a little more money each time they catch a pound of carp. And even the buyer gets a little money each time they process and deal with the carp and get it to the next level. We want that industry to grow. And hopefully they'd be self-sufficient in, in, in some time. Reckon they could ever be sold at a, 
like at a chain restaurant? Are we looking at really just over market? I mean, I don't know. You go to, I'm going to name it, like a Long John Silver's. You don't, it says fish. What uh, are we eating? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it would be very easy to, to imagine fish sticks. Yeah. I mean, how many schools are eating fish sticks today? Kids yeah. love them. You know, I mean, it's good. It, that, carp that, is good. I'm it, one of them that's yeah, had them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, compared to eating another, I mean, if, when you look at the fact that they're eating at the bottom of the food chain, you know, there's less time for any any chemicals that would be in the environment to bio those that do bioaccumulate through the food chain are, are not in these fish. They've got they got really good health scores for uh, for, for eating and and I, I think you're going to see them in that. You're going to like fish cakes. You're going to see that there's markets for boneless, skinless, just like you're seeing in that uh, image there. Uh, if you fry it, it's good. I haven't baked it yet, but I'm sure you, if you did that right, it would be good too. So. Um, and, and there's a lot. There's a lot. Of, I guess the important thing is that there are a lot of domestic markets. You know, a lot of people think, well, you could sell them overseas where they're more popular. But you, there, there's a lot of cost involved in getting them overseas, and there's certainly demand here for them. So we're we're very optimistic that the commercial mar- harvest will continue to keep the numbers down. If it, if it turns out that these fish move through the whole system on us, we're going to be reliant on on harvest of these fish to keep them their numbers down for decades probably okay all right and uh, and uh you may get into it but there's a yeah. chance that they could be used for cat food dog food all that kind well, of stuff or well sure they, they could be used for that the, but the the best likelihood of getting fishermen to fish for them is if they get a higher right, right, price gotcha. for their product so the human price you know it's better for human than... consumption is better but yeah the the pet food industry is right there uh they're they pay pretty well people care about their pets mm-hmm. and then uh the uh, pro, like raw proteins and fertilizers and stuff like that, that's another market that, that doesn't pay near as much. So that would be, a, that, that's not as likely to get the fish harvested out as aggressively, you know, okay. it, unless they scale up appropriately near it. But, you know, they, they, they could be doing that on the Mississippi River right now, and, and nobody's doing it in, in Tennessee anyway. There, okay. are, there are places that do that will take that product but they're only going to give you, you know, like less than 10 cents a pound for it and mm-hmm. we want fishermen to be getting at least 20 cents a pound to make it worth their while to handle these fish if, you, if you've never been if you're you've hang, hung in here and you've never been listen to this and you've never been around a commercial fisherman they work really really hard what they do is really hard and it's rough on the body and it's early and mm-hmm. it's late and once you get to all the fish in the boat, you still got a long way to go before you're done through the for the day. So it's you need yeah. they need to get that bang for the buck. That's right, and you know it's not like a, uh, if they're fishing for catfish or something else where they're getting more per pound and they can handle a, a lesser volume load mm-hmm. and make the same amount of money. They if they if they have a ten thousand pound fish day, the, that person and their helpers have picked up and put down ten thousand pounds of fish that day. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's, that's, that's yeah, a that's long a lot. Day. Yeah, uh, so so yeah, there, and thought there, about it even like that. Pe- people that want to do this uh, don't want to do it. I, I certainly wouldn't want to do it for eight, ten cents a pound. You want to make it worth your while. So, okay. and, and there's specialized gear to get into it. So we're hoping that these incentives will get people interested enough to that are already in commercial fishing to, to kind of convert over to that. When you say eight to ten cents or twenty cents a pound or what, are you talking about the entire fish? Or are you talking about a, a fish that's blocked off or just the meat or what's that usually that, mean? That's at the sale from the commercial fisherman to the buyer. That's the whole fish. Okay, that, at that no, level, no processing at all at that point. Okay, yeah. all right. Yeah. So, so lastly, the the other work that 
we're involved in is monitoring, and that is uh, we're doing that in conjunction with the surrounding states, with the uh, Fish and Wildlife Service. TVA has been in on the action. They've been helping us monitor uh, larval fish. They've been providing us some gear to use. Uh, we're looking at, through Tennessee Tech, that one of the projects that we have with them is to go out and figure out the best way to repeatedly, you know, to scientifically estimate the relative abundance of fish in one lake to the next. I mean, that, that's going to be important over time to know if any of the products or the, the strategies that we're doing are working. We, we, we're, we're relying on them to, to figure out that part of it. And we're also monitoring their movements through Tennessee Tech. And but we help on that, too. Most of the time when they have to tag fish, we, we'll go out with the shocking boats and get them. But, but it's still hard. When people might think, well, you got these shocking boats. Why don't you just go shock them all up? Well, they don't respond to electricity like our native fish do. Their, their conductivity or their shape or whatever, it's very inefficient to shock these. Mm. So that's why we're not out just shocking them up. And even gill netting them is not easy. You've got to really be strategic and, and thoughtful about how you set the nets in these coves and put them out. Now, we, we could do that, but it'd be like sending a fisherman out uh, to, uh, to catch striped bass versus sending a biologist out. You know, the, 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 the actual fisherman's out there all the time. They're on the fish. They know where they are. Mm-hmm. They know how it works. Biologists, we, we can have a harder time catching them on the, on the day we say, but what we are doing better is we're, we're trying to get this image of it across the whole lake and have a repeatable sample. So it's, there's always this, you know, what, what are we, what, how is it the commercial fishermen can catch them and we can't, you know, we're, we're trying, we're doing different things. We're not trying mm-hmm. to catch every one of them. We're trying to get a subsample that represents the lake in a, in a repeatable scientific way, which is not always the highest catch rate. Okay. Get, and off, then, get off that tangent. I, well, I, I get it, though. It makes sense to me and, um, and because I've been around y'all for so long watching yeah. you do it and how well it worked. But yeah. then then you're going out and trying to incentivize folks yeah. to go after these fish that you know were there. Right. I, I, remember, I recognize that photo there from the Duck River, mm-hmm. which is a smaller river uh, um, eventually from all the, the larger the Tennessee. and I mean, they all yeah. lead to the Tennessee or the Cumberland. So are they going up very many tributaries that you know right now? The duck is one of the main tributaries that we know they're going up. That I, I, I'm sure they're going up into the, like on the Mississippi River, they're certainly going up all those trips to the Mississippi River, like the Obine, Wolf, and all, you know, all those. They're, they're, our guys have been up in them to see those fish are in there. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a known thing that we can't. It's strategically, our dollars have to go to Kentucky Lake, Barkley Lake area where we can slow the like reduce the numbers of fish understand it well enough to maybe protect the upper end of the watershed and that's really where we're at right now and unfortunately a lot of the you know we're working with the other states but that the next things that might have to be done may have to be done in alabama and and we're 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 certainly talking to those states saying hey they're coming but you know we don't know that they're going to have uh all, you know, hopefully they'll have the same opportunities that we had getting money from federal from the federal sources mm-hmm. to, to do that work. All right, all right, great. So also on the sport fish side, I mean, everyone wants to know what. Back up a second there. Go back you? one. Yeah, let's let's not leave sport fish out of this. I mean, we we are still doing all the normal work that we do to monitor crappie, mm-hmm. bass, shad, uh, you know, panfish. Just everything that we do is oriented to make fishing better 
and we're still doing doing those annual assessments. So the question obviously is, well, how are they doing? And that's some of the some of the stuff that Tim Broadbent's going to dig a little deeper into at the meeting this week on the twenty fourth. Yeah, but uh, you know, there is a lot of annual variation in in sport fish populations, and we had a really cold winter. I know things are looking a little rough compared to some other mm-hmm. some other springs. We had a really cold spring too. But um, you know, nothing, nothing that I've seen yet has been out of range of what would be a, a typical off year. Now, if we get a couple of them in a row and it slips further off, then we, we, we may start we may be starting to see impacts from carp. But so far, we, you know, we haven't made that call too, yet. It's too just, early to say. Yeah, and, and I'm not saying it's it's been a great spring to fish. I'm just saying it's too early to say what the cause cause is. It, it may seem just so obvious, but. We, to, to some to say, well, there's carp that are, it has to be that, but we, we, we see this across the state. You can have a bad couple of years on any lake that has carp or not. Yeah. You know, been so here it's a really, long, really hard to tease this stuff out. I've been here a long time. Before Asian carp was a big deal, and I've seen fishermen get mad at bad years on lakes, <laughs> and then a couple of years later they're having some of the greatest years they've ever had. So, yeah. I mean, lakes just cycle. Yeah, sometimes, and, which is not to say, like you said, it might be an issue. Yeah, and, and, and really we, these carp have been – have been in there for a while, but they haven't been very successful. It's morning. <clears throat> you know, they, they had a really good year in 2011, 12, and then again in 15. And, and they've, you know, there's fish around that are probably younger. Like the most of the fish out there are three years old from that 2015 year class. But, the, and there's other fish that have migrated in, but those fish are now, those, tw- those three year old fish are now reaching maturity they're they're likely to spawn on us at some mm-hmm. point so that's why we got to be watchful and, and what we see today isn't necessarily what you're going to see in a few years either right. okay all right we got a few minutes left frank so let's 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 get to these next oh yeah we got to get got to cover these two that yeah. a couple uh things coming up we the tennessee wildlife resources agency is a sponsor of this event that we're that is being hosted by the kentucky fish and wildlife foundation that's their version of their that's their foundation to their state uh, they're handling all the details of the tournament, but we, we, we wanted to participate. Wow. We wanted to participate with Kentucky <laughs> Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources, so we are. And uh, you know, it was a phone call that I was on with with the chief of fisheries there. I said, "Well, are they fishing on our side of the lake?" And they're like, "No." Like, well, why not? So that's why we why we sponsored, and it, it's set up where with the proper licensing, you can fish either side of the lake. Either side of the state line on, on Kentucky, awesome, uh, Kentucky and Barkley Lakes. So that that's pretty exciting. I hope people get involved in that. If, if that, it'll be interesting to see what we can learn from the fish that are that are shot during that event and <laughs> how many are there. If uh, it, we, I'd like to see us maybe do something on our side of the state okay, line in the that information is on the website some, and we'll put it out on Facebook again too. Okay, and and then uh, again, <clears throat> Frank, real quick on that, it's not that we think the bow fishermen are going to take all these fish out. It's to bring attention as much as anything to the issue. Yeah, and and really, <laughs> anytime there's a bow fishing event or tournament that can focus on carp instead of all the other species, that, that that's a bonus to us. So right. we, we'd like to see that. Yeah, look at those hours too. Seven a.m. to seven p.m. Is that what's it or seven p.m. to seven, seven a.m. Yeah, got it's, back it's a night turn. At night time. Take a lot of coffee. That's 12 <laughs> hours of fishing. <laughs> Sleep okay. all day. All right, let's go yeah. to the next one. And, and this is the, the meeting coming up. So. That, that's right. That's that's this week. Uh, this will be Thursday night in, in Paris. May 24th. And, uh, again, it's a lot of the same stuff I've talked about here. Just want to let people know that we're doing everything we can. Uh, and 
we're, we're as frustrated as they are that there's still carp there. We, we think all the time, what else could we be doing? We're going to be presenting that and some more details about Kentucky Lake. Yeah, and, and you know, those of you go, um, don't go mad. Go help us. Go help yeah, us. Be a part of helping them with us because we do want everything to be better. That's right. Yep. And uh, it's our goal just like it's your goal. Anyway, Frank, I appreciate your time. Sure. And you Thank got a you. tough job up there. What you do, you have a tough job. So appreciate all your it's, work. It's not always car, but it just feels like it. <laughs> <laughs> you probably will for a while. All right, everybody. We're going to be back in a week. Jason, thank you. Yeah, thank you all for tuning in. And uh, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And check out our website. We're always trying to get the information out to you and uh, keep you all connected with us. All right. So we'll see you all next week. Yeah, you're going on a road trip soon. Yeah. All right. Thanks for tuning in. Stay connected with TWRA by visiting our website at tnwildlife.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hey, it's all about Tennessee wildlife. It's what we do. Tennessee Wildcast will be on the air again next week. We'll see you then.